the elimination of telework at Social Security Administration and other places. My next guest wonders why, especially after studies show it improves productivity and so many private companies offer teleworking. Here in studio and not by telephone with his thoughts, Professor Bob Tobias of the Key Executive Leadership Program at American University. And Bob, you're saying these policies to take away teleworking is a great example of non-evidence-based decision-making. The administration seems to say over and over again, we make decisions based on data. But in this case, they seem to make decisions that are contrary to the data, especially because OPM in its 2018 report on telework policy found that 72% of employees said that telework improved their performance, 76% increased their desire to stay, and 83% said it increased their morale. And OPM also found that telework policy increases employee engagement. So what can be wrong with that kind of result? Um, It's consistent with the 2010 Telework Act that requires the creation of a policy. It supports recruitment. It decreases absenteeism. It contributes to the uh, continuity of operations. And it saves dollars by requiring less office space. So that's the data. And yet we have Social Security calling all employees back to work. I don't think it makes sense. Well, just to argue the point that Andrew Saul made, the commissioner made, he said the reason they were doing it is to get people in their field offices, I guess in call centers, to be on the front lines of customer service. And he said you can't do that from working at home if you're dealing with clients of Social Security. Well, I I believe there certainly has to be a balance between people who are uh, meeting the Social Security applicants as they come into the offices, but that doesn't mean the elimination of all telework. There was no data that he articulated for this policy no analysis of who might be able to stay home some of the time when there isn't a surge in people in the office. It was the announcement of a policy without any data to support it. I guess maybe the agency which has the best record is the Patent and Trademark Office, which has not made a change in policy for its teleworkers so far as we know. And they have a really long history of patent examiners teleworking because of the nature of where patent discovery and patent research takes place, which is everywhere and certainly not in an office building in Alexandria, Virginia. Well, Patent and Trademark Office spent a great deal of money to create the kind of technology infrastructure support that people can have access to the applications, have access to research, and make decisions while sitting at home. This is individual work that does not need um, coordination between and among individuals. It is the perfect, perfect kind of work that lends itself to telework. And there's an ever-increasing number of people in PTO who do uh, telework. And PTO has said that as a result of them staying at home, there's a cost savings of $42 million a year in leased space. And what about the private sector? Because that seems to be an area where, for the most part, telework is an established policy. There's a few companies that famously called people back to the office a few years ago. I think IBM was one of them. And maybe one of the social media platforms decided they wanted their people in the office. But I think the trend in the private sector is more telework. I think it is. Seventy percent of the companies in the private sector provide for telework. And I think this is particularly relevant when you're trying to recruit millennials. 
because 82% of the millennials who've been surveyed in the federal government say that the uh, availability of telework influenced their decision to come to the federal workforce. Uh, Millennials are already underrepresented in the uh, federal workforce, so attracting more is difficult. Abandoning what attracts these folks, I think, is not a good policy. We're speaking with Bob Tobias. He's a distinguished practitioner in the executive leadership program at American University. What about the idea of interpersonal collaboration that so many work groups and so many you know, management strategists say is important now, is that people have to collaborate more? Does telework get in the way of that if the person is not someone you can just walk over and chat with or call into a room and, and hash out problems? Well, I think that the issue of interpersonal communication and interpersonal collaboration is an issue. And uh, the private sector, again, has led the way with having teams all over the world participating and collaborating on successfully collaborating on projects. But on the other hand, it doesn't mean that because there's a problem and people have to be at work some of the time that they need to be and must be at work all of the time as the Social Security has required. Social Security is not the only agency that has done this. A couple of others, I think Health and Human Services and part of the negotiations. And one agency, it was part of their bargaining agreement. And therefore, they said, the the arbitrator said no to the agency management. You've got to keep the telework because it was part of a bargaining agreement. But that only covers employees that are covered by bargaining agreements and only those agreements that have telework. So it seems like everybody else is kind of out of luck these days. That's correct. I mean, if the if the terms and conditions of the collective bargaining agreement do not guarantee telework, management may uh, eliminate it at will. And which brings us back to this issue again of what OPM said that um, that when managers this is what the report said when managers oppose telework, um, it's at odds with quote, creating a missed opportunity to maximize performance and engagement, close quote. And that's the heart. Why would you want to abolish something that leads to increased performance and increased engagement? OPM that we cited earlier, and also the Government Accountability Office, which oversees these things a few years ago, they recommended that agencies have plans to make sure that they evaluate their telework in some consistent manner with real metrics so that they can understand the effectiveness of it. Do you think enough agencies have done that, maybe? No, I don't. I really don't. I believe it is important to measure the effectiveness. The research that has been done shows that it does increase engagement, it does increase in performance, but agencies, every agency, ought take it upon itself to measure the result to convince itself and to convince those who are naysayers that telework works. In fact, our own Nicola Grisco reported just some months back in the summer that the NIH learned that backup child and dependent care programs would allow employees to continue working when care providers weren't there because they could telework, and that uh, it showed that the NIH had a lot of good results for work itself, effectiveness, and morale, they found the program benefits intramural, clinical, and extramural research programs because people can work continuously That's by having the option to telework. Yes. And, and the, the management opposition is, in my opinion, often based on the fact that you, I have to see you in order to know that you're working. However, just because you look at my cube and I'm sitting in front of my computer does not mean that I'm working. Uh, a manager needs to have set goals 
set expectations and measure those goals and expectations, whether the employees in the cube or at home teleworking. And it's not like the majority, the vast majority of federal employees are putting chocolates in boxes going by on a conveyor belt. They are not. This is this is a workforce that's using its mind to solve problems. And we can have measures, we can have expectations, but it requires uh, supervisors and managers who create those expectations and enforce them. Bob Tobias is Distinguished Practitioner in Residence at the American University. He works for the Key Executive Leadership Program. Thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. You think your dog deserves the best for the holidays. BarkBox knows they do. And the best is exactly what BarkBox delivers every month. You'll get fun-themed goodies curated for your dog, and you'll be joining a community of pups and their people. We're celebrating sugar season with a double batch of irresistible toys, treats, and chews from our season sweetings-themed box. To start spoiling your dog and get your free upgrade, visit BarkBox.com podcast. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online.